Did you know that within a decade, women will hold $30 trillion in investable assets? Yet somehow, only 19% of women reported feeling confident in selecting investments that align with their long-term goals. Our friends at InvestHer are out to change that. InvestHerCon is the number one premier conference for women in real estate, and it's happening June 2nd through the 4th in Austin, Texas. InvestHerCon is not just another real estate conference. It's a transformational experience focused on real estate investing, business strategies, and self-care tactics, all designed to help women take control of their financial futures. Gain the knowledge and skills you need to grow your portfolio and build a sustainable business, all while connecting with over 500 women who are playing at the same level. To learn more and to get your tickets, visit InvestHerCon.com today and use the code 100BESTEVER to get $100 off your ticket. That's InvestHer, H-E-R, Con.com, promo code 100BESTEVER to get $100 off your ticket. Quick disclaimer, the views and opinions expressed in this podcast are provided for informational purposes only and should not be construed as an offer to buy or sell any securities or to make or consider any investment or course of action. For more information, go to bestevershow.com. Set a goal that's well above what you think you want to achieve this year or in the future. And also look 10, 20, 30 years down the line and then work backwards from that goal and say, okay, what do I need to do today? What do I need to do this month to achieve that? Welcome to the Best Ever Show, the world's longest running daily commercial real estate podcast. Our hosts interview commercial real estate experts every day to get you the best advice ever with none of the fluffy stuff. Hello, Best Ever listeners. Welcome to the Best Real Estate Investing Advice Ever Show. I'm Ash Patel, and I'm with today's guest, Faris Gosia. Faris is joining us from Sherrillville, Indiana. He is the founder of Ferris Gosia Capital, where he targets mismanaged and undercapitalized multifamily properties in secondary and tertiary markets. Ferris's portfolio consists of 920 units. Ferris, thank you so much for joining us, and how are you today? Good, Ash. Thanks for having me on today. Of course. Before we get started, would you mind giving the best ever listeners a little bit more about your background and what you're focused on now? Yeah, originally from Wales, came here in 2012 for college, University of Illinois. Ended up moving to the Northwest Indiana region about five, six years ago and saw there was some value in the multifamily product here. Started with some single family houses and currently focused on growing the portfolio of multifamily housing. What did you go to college for? So I started out in aerospace engineering and ended up with a history degree. And upon graduation, did you get into real estate right away or did you go work? I did not get into real estate right away. So when I came, I actually came here with the goal of playing professional tennis and was on the U of I tennis team. So when I graduated, I did play professional tennis for about a year and a half and then found my way into tennis coaching and ended up getting into real estate just as trying to get some passive investments. Single family houses. What was the progression from single family to multifamily? The progression for me was single family and a mix of small multi. So bought a house and a duplex and a couple smaller product, like four units. For me, the first step was a middle-sized building. So it was a 14 unit. Definitely very scared when dipping my toes in, I think, because everyone thinks, oh, bigger buildings, more scary, more tenants to deal with. For me, buying that first one really helped into getting into bigger product because you just realize it's the same thing, just a few more doors. So I think for a lot of people, when they're thinking about the mindset of how do I go from a single family to larger buildings, just knowing that it's the same process, and if you get that process down for how to manage single family, it's the same thing. It's just more tenants, more doors. 
the 14 unit, can we dive into that? What year did you buy it? How much did you buy it for? Yeah, so I purchased that 14 unit. This was back in 2020, and I bought that for right around a million at the time, just above a million. Did you raise capital for that? For that one, no, I did not. I actually cash out refinanced a couple of the single families and duplex I owned and, and rolled that money into that 14 unit. After you bought that 14 unit, did you ever buy single families again? I've bought a few here and there just when they're in the general area of where I was initially buying single families. But in terms of focusing on buying more single families, no, I didn't really do that. I'm assuming you were just a one person operation throughout the single family acquisitions that you've done. Yes. When correct. you bought the 14 unit, what systems did you implement? When I bought the 14 unit, I was still pretty small. I had about 50 units at the time. And to be honest with you, my systems weren't great still. So I was using the free rent collection system of Palmas.com. Still just me, no staff. I was doing the leasing, taking the calls, finding the plumber or the HVAC technician. So I was doing all that myself at that point, which again, looking back, I would advise people to start with the end in mind. So instead of doing that, maybe get on a, a paid rent collection software like a Buildium or an Appfolio, where it's much easier to scale and grow and not have to transfer a bunch of accounts over. But at that time, my processes definitely could have been better for where I was at. And that's great advice. Act as if you've gotten to where you want to go and put the systems in place. In addition to property management software, what else were pain points in scaling? I think the biggest one for me and, and a lot of people I think have is maintenance. Maintenance issues, obviously, on older multifamily buildings are always going to come up. You're always going to have things going wrong. And to keep using third-party maintenance like the plumber or the HVAC tech or the electrician, it's going to get really expensive really fast, especially the certain number of doors. So to figure out how you can keep maintenance costs down, I think is one of the most challenging things in multifamily. And the answer is obviously to have the full-time staff. It's just very challenging if you don't have enough units to hire that staff. So I think a few good ways people have found to get around that is to try and have a handyman that they maybe split with some other operators in the area. Your local networking group, if you own 30 units and someone else owns 20 and someone else owns 10, maybe try and hire a handyman together so that you can all split that cost. But otherwise it does get really tough if you're trying to send out individual vendors. That's great advice because a lot of people I'm sure are behind that mindset of, okay, I need 200 more units before I could hire somebody. But splitting a tech with a number of people is great advice. First, what about accounting and backend systems? What were pain points and what did you do as you scaled? For the backend systems, I think the best thing that I have done is switch over to Buildium. In the beginning, using a free collection software like Apalmas.com or Excel, it's okay. It'll save you a little bit of money, but it's really not worth the headache of having to transfer over and over and then also still do your own books. Buildium has integrated accounting where it's all getting tracked. So just those softwares really eliminated 80% of the pain points with accounting. And again, I know people look at like, oh, this is 50 bucks a month and I only have three units. If your goal is to scale into a lot more units and grow, I think it's definitely worth paying that from the beginning, get used to building them on a smaller scale. And then as you grow, it'll be much easier for you. Yeah, I wholeheartedly agree on that. As you grew a number of units, did you start raising capital? No, I didn't start raising capital. I tried to retain as much equity as possible in the deals. So 900 units today, 
do you have partners? Do you self-manage all of them? Do you have third-party management? In terms of partners, a couple of the smaller deals in the beginning that I bought, I bought 50-50. So out of those 920, I would say I personally own around 700. And then the other ones are some splits on a 28-32 unit, for example. In terms of management, I built out my own management company. So right now we have about 13 techs on staff, a couple part-time, full office, things like that. So that's really helped in terms of keeping management in-house to really know where my costs are at. Do you manage other people's properties as well? Just some friends who buy houses or duplexes in the area. I'll take on their management to help them out. But in terms of external people that I do not know, no, I don't go looking for third-party management. And Forrest, what geographic areas do you invest in? Right now, where I own investments is Northwest Indiana, which is about 45 minutes away from Chicago. I have one asset in central Indiana, that's Plymouth, Indiana, and then southwest Michigan. So Niles, Buchanan, it's about 30 minutes north of South Bend. And all of those areas are amazing because post-COVID, just like Californians went to Texas and Florida, Chicago folks have fleed to Michigan and northwest Indiana as well. So are you still seeing growth in those areas? Yeah, we're still seeing some growth. I think, as you said, a lot of people from Illinois do want to jump the border, whether it's South Wisconsin or coming to Indiana, whether it be taxes, things like that, just cheaper to live overall. So we've seen a lot of that. And also it's very saturated here. So it's tough for people to build products. So you're not seeing an influx of inventory along with people moving. You're just seeing people moving with the same inventory. So yeah, it's been good in terms of that kind of growth. What is something that you wish you had done differently early on in your investing career? Good question. It does circle back to starting with the end in mind for me which would be to implement systems way sooner, put someone on payroll sooner than I did to take me out of the day-to-day a little sooner. Just things like that. I think thinking about the long-term goal from day one definitely would have helped me be more professional in the beginning. And I could have maybe added a few more assets in the beginning that were better deals than we're seeing today if I was more prepared. What's an example of a deal that you've lost money on and learned a hard lesson? Any of the deals I've personally purchased right now, I wouldn't say I've lost money other than maybe it not cash flowing as well as I expected. Nothing is in the red. So I think the one lesson I've learned is to run expenses on a little more conservative side than I was because cash flow is a little tighter on a couple deals that I do own just because I thought we could operate at maybe a 98% occupancy level, whereas we're at 96. But other than that, there's not been a deal that I've lost money on. What's the hardest lesson you've learned in real estate? And it could be about money, partners, lending, just mindset. One of the hardest things I think from my real estate journey is definitely scaling a company. And when you have to grow a company with employees, I think it's definitely not as easy as other business owners can make it look at times. Lots of things to deal with, lots of people to keep happy, especially to retain talent in a company, things like that. So I think that's one thing that if your goal is to operate a business with employees, always think about how you can provide them value and how you can make their lives easier, their day better, what they may need, instead of thinking about what they can do for you. And I think that'll help retain good employees, hopefully longer. What are your biggest pain points today? The biggest pain points right now, I think are two things. Again, maintenance staff is really, really tough to find good maintenance technicians. It's crazy, but it's one of the hardest things I've had to deal with is just finding staff for that. And the second one I think is just deal flow right now is very tough for people. Interest rates are up, obviously, we all know. Trying to close out deals and grow is getting tougher, I think, for everyone. But 
trying to find deals off market, I think is the best way to do that. And that's what I've been trying to do. And I think if other people set their minds to that too, that's going to help them in their business. We'll get back to the show with first some sponsors I'm confident you'll find value in learning more about. Are you looking to raise money from private investors to buy commercial real estate? Syndicationattorneys.com is here to guide you every step of the way. At syndicationattorneys.com, they do more so you can do more. They create real estate syndication and fund offering documents, but they also educate you on the ins and outs of raising private money, ensure your offerings comply with security laws, and help you structure fair deals with investors so everybody wins. With reasonable lump sum fees and over $2.75 billion in security offerings created, syndicationattorneys.com has the expertise you need. But that's not all. Syndicationattorneys.com also offers weekly attorney-led masterminds, networking, and strategy sessions through their pre-syndication consulting agreements. To learn more, visit syndicationattorneys.com today to get started. And this offer is not available to Florida residents. What are you doing creatively to fill that need of text? That's a great question on filling the need for text. I don't think I found the answer to that yet. <laughs> We're still cycling through some people and trying our best, but referrals, reaching out to networks. Obviously, you got the jobs posted on Indeed, stuff like that. Maybe you're trying to hire someone that doesn't have the experience, but they seem very trainable, good work ethic. So we're really still working through that issue right now. And it's not something that I have the answer to. I wish I did, but hopefully this year it's something that I can find the answer to. Have you tried to steal anybody? My maintenance director does know technicians at other complexes in the area. And when you have talks with them and if they're not happy at their current place, then you maybe can give them a drop off and see how they feel about that. I think that is one of the best ways to find people is to bring them over from different complexes. But at this current time, I think we've only been able to achieve that once or twice. What are you doing for new acquisitions? How do you find deals today? New acquisitions come mainly through the commercial group that I own. Right now, we're a team of 17 brokers. So they're creating relationships with owners, making offers on the phone, again, off-market deals. So... We'll give them a number on the phone immediately and see if that's something that they're interested in and then we'll go visit it. But again, it's softwares like Reonomy, CoStar, where we're reaching out direct to owner. I think if you want to do an off-market deal, giving them a number on the phone to show that you're serious is definitely the best way to do that. That's what I was doing when I was calling back in the day a couple of years ago. And just network, reaching out to owners, trying to create relationships. That's really the way we're focused on finding off-market deals. And I think last year I probably looked over 600. So there's a lot of deals I had to look at to buy a couple, but it's today's market. What's your target in terms of unit size, location, year built? Right now, my target is probably a hundred plus asset size, just from the operational standpoint of it being able to run itself. Midwest is always the location I'm going to target. It gets really tough for me to buy in the Sunbelt states. I just really can't find the cash flow that I look for. I know there's appreciation, rent growth, and all that stuff. I just find it very tough myself to buy into that. I want it to be cash flowing at least something day one. So more of the Midwest markets, Iowa, Wisconsin, Indiana, Kentucky, Ohio, things like that. Those are the target markets and target asset sizes. And, and sub 2000 build, I think the newer product, again, gets really tough in this interest rate environment to make work. When you find properties, do you not anticipate raising capital? Correct. Yeah. When I find a deal, I don't anticipate to have to raise the capital. Again, I'm not going to put something under contract if I don't have the capital for it myself, but I wouldn't put something under contract if I needed to raise the money for it. Do you ever plan on raising capital? 
At this current time, I don't see it in my near future in terms of raising capital for deals. I've just looked at it from both sides and I really like to retain as much equity as I can in every deal I buy. At this point, I'm pretty much buying everything myself. And I've decided that if I own 1,000, 2,000, 3,000 on my own, equity-wise, then I'm dealing with a lot less day-to-day -day than I would be having to own 30,000 but have 10% of the equity. Do you look for value-add properties or are you okay buying something that's totally stabilized? I'm okay buying something totally stabilized if the price that they're going to sell that quote-unquote stabilized asset for is market and the cash flow is there. I don't mind putting my money into deals like that. Today, we're seeing stabilized assets trade, honestly, what I would consider above market value, which gets really tough. In terms of value-add, yeah, I love to buy deals where it's just either mismanaged or the rent is lower than what the market is. So you have to deal with maybe some turnover, but you're just bumping rents year over year. For me, heavy value-add, we have to go in and really gut units and spend 20000 25000 per unit. It gets really tough for me to do that. It's been tough to find maintenance techs, as I said. So to find rehab crews and general contractors that I trust to get in there and turn 50 to 100 units just is not something that I'm that skilled at. Not saying it's not for everyone. I think a lot of people have a ton of success with that. It's just not a strong suit of mind to be able to go and do that. Ferris, what is a metric that you use to identify a good deal? Is it cash on cash return? Cash on cash return is one of them. I think the other one now that I'm more focused on is just the speed at which I think I can get my money back out of the deal. So I'm looking at where is it at right now and where do I think it could be at in a year or two from now, whether it's rent increases, getting the vacancy up, cutting expenses, and then seeing how much of the money I put in that I can get back. Because that's really important for me to then go buy the next deal. So I'm really looking at that aspect where it can appraise in a year or two. And then obviously that leads into if you can get money out, then it, it should be cash flowing pretty good. So I mainly look at how much and how fast I can get my cash out. And then I'm looking at obviously the cash on cash too. But the first one is getting money out. What is your target cash on cash return? I'm assuming we're not including tax benefits in that question, right? Correct. Okay. So if I had to, after a refinance, I guess my target would be above 10%. So I'd like to be at 12% cash on cash. If I'm just going to put my money in and not plan to refinance the deal whatsoever, I'd probably like it to be closer to 20%. Got it. You started a management company. Why did you do that? Was there something that you were lacking with third-party managers? So I never actually went the route of third-party management up until about 125 units. I was still the sole manager of everything. I was taking the tenant calls, leasing them out, finding the plumbers, etc. I decided to take management in-house because from all the operators I've seen that have a sizable count of units, typically they're just going to put their own payroll on it. So I figured it'd be better to take the route of putting my own payroll on it and maintain control of my assets. Operations is obviously key in the business we're in to run the asset correctly. And I think handing that off to a third-party manager, if you have great trust in them and know them, it's great. But for me, it was just better to maintain that control and hire my own staff to oversee the operation. So that's initially why I started. How many hours a week do you work? At this point, if I wanted to, it could be zero, but I love to keep growing and scaling and trying to get things going. So honestly, the moment I wake up and put the phone in my hand, I'm probably on the go from 6, 7 a.m. until 9, 10. I don't see it as work to me. It's just a lot of fun. I love doing what I do. So to me, I just wake up and have fun every day. The reason I ask that question is not to pry, 
but to get a breakdown of where your time is spent. So in a given week, where is the majority of your time spent? The majority of my time is spent on the brokerage side of things. So either we're looking at someone's building as to what we could list it for, we're assisting a buyer through a deal, adding brokers to the team, putting better systems in place, training for them, all that kind of stuff. And then I would say about eight to 10 hours a week is spent on the property management company, whether it's just something my president needs from me in terms of a higher level question we need answers to or looking at payrolls, just stuff like that. But mainly the commercial brokerage side is where most of my time is spent. And then eight to 10 hours a week is on the property management side on the assets I currently own. Got it. Forrest, what is your best real estate investing advice ever? I think the best advice I can give to people is set a goal that's well above what you think you want to achieve this year or in the future. And also look 10, 20, 30 years down the line and then work backwards from that goal and say, okay, what do I need to do today? What do I need to do this month to achieve that? That's really helped me in real estate. And obviously, again, this can be for any industry, but for real estate, for me in particular, it's just been looking out ahead 10, 20, 30 years, where do I want to be? And what do I need to do today and accomplish today to get there? Ferris, are you ready for the best ever lightning round? Yes, hopefully. Let's see. All right. What's the best ever book you recently read? I was looking at that question that you're going to ask me. I actually haven't read a book in about eight years. The one I'm currently trying to get through is it's the Rockefeller biography, Titans. So been listening to that one and that's been pretty good. But prior to that, I haven't read anything for a very long time. So <laughs> I'm going to have to go with Titans. What's the best ever way you like to give back? Right now, the best way I like to give back is with my time, whether it be volunteering at the local food shelter, things like that to give back. And then in the future, I want to sponsor a, uh, a lot of adoptions. That's my big mission. So those two ways. And Faris, how can the best ever listeners reach out to you? My two websites that they can reach out to me, FarisGarciaCapital.com or Ellsbury.com. And then also through my email, it's FarisGarcia3 at gmail.com. Happy to get back to people who reach out, whether it be just basic questions or something else. Ferris, thank you for your time today. Thank you for sharing your journey and some important lessons on scaling. Thanks, Ash. Appreciate you having me on. Best ever listeners, thank you for joining us. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a five-star review. Share this podcast with someone you think can benefit from it. Also, follow, subscribe, and have a best ever day. Hi, best ever listeners. Joe Fairless here again. And one last thing before you go, would you like to receive a short weekly email with proven tips from experienced investors, free tools and resources, and a roundup of the week's most relevant news and best ever content? Well, if so... Join the community of nearly 15,000 commercial real estate passive and active investors who receive the best ever newsletter. Just go to bestevercre.com forward slash access and you'll get the very next one. I hope you enjoyed this episode. And as always, thank you for listening and have a best ever day.